Hey guys, this is Rohan from Back to the Past, the Alternate Industry Podcast. I think this is now our 12th episode. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but 12 episodes, that's... We've been doing this for like, what, six, seven months now? Yeah, I'm well, gone. consistently for like about two months or so. Yeah, but I'm not... God, I did not think it would last this long. Um, I remember when we first started this, we had no clue what we were doing. We were just like, you know what, let's just throw up an episode. Let's see how it goes, what will happen, right? Yeah, that was that was a while ago, man. Oh, how things have changed, how the tables have turned. And now, I'm sorry to announce this, but we're going to have to go on a temporary... We're going to have to suspend the podcast indefinitely right now, as Tej, his wife is pregnant, actually. They were surprised when they found out, and we were actually happy to hear from the Back to the Past, the Alternate History podcast team. And honestly, I'm, I'm hope I think he's going to be a great father. Yeah, but this is our last episode. I hope you enjoy it. April, April Fool's! So that whole everything we said before was practically false. Uh, the twelve episodes, I think, was correct, but the part about quitting and um, Ted having a kid—that's obviously false. Um, but yeah, we do. What is not false also is that we have a special episode. This episode special, which you will see right now. Hey everyone! So basically, the plan is that everyone is going to have their own specific, like weird, fake-ish. Basically, something that's not very realistic alternate history scenario. It could be anything like mine for example is going to be what if mars remained habitable because scientists have deduced that mars used to actually have water and potentially a habitable atmosphere for us humans so i'm going to be discussing what if it remained that way for mars and i think one of the most important things is let's start off at the beginning with mythology Celestial objects throughout history have been, they've just, they've had interesting meanings. Like Mars is obviously the god of war in Roman. So I wonder, would Mars be the god of Rome if it looks somewhat similar to Earth? If it was, you know, blue and green, I don't think it would be the god of Earth. I think they would do something, but I think, I don't, I'm not very well um, versed in Roman mythology that much, but if there was some god remaining um, representing Earth or land or something, I think that this god would of uh, Mars would be really similar to this god, or maybe there would be no god for Mars. Maybe instead the god of land or Earth or whatever would be covering both realms, and that's an interesting thing. What would Mars be called in this scenario? Because most bodies in our celestial system are actually based off Roman and Greek mythology, so. Like Mercury, for example, is Roman mythology. So is Jupiter. Those both are Roman mythology. So without this now, I wonder what would it be named? Would it be named some scientific name like we have for other extraterrestrial planets, like for the um Kelp, not Kelper, Trappist system, that's a star system, their planets are named like Trappist 1, like Trappist 2, Trappist 7. So would this be named Sol 4? Because our star system in Latin is called Sol, because instead of the solar system, Sol is directly related to this one. And Mars is the fourth planet. So would it be called Sol 4, for example? 
that's an interesting point. By now, let's move on a bit. Really, um, with this scenario now, after discussing mythology and how it affects early human civil development, we go straight to the space race, really, because that's when things start getting interesting now. So, I know I discussed early human development, but I, I like I discussed mythology, but I didn't develop, um, discuss the development. So, how would it affect the gods itself, the people's culture? Like, would they think that there's people like them on Mars? How would our depiction of aliens be, for example? Because, well, our depiction of Martians are generally, like, green, very tall. They're not humanoid at all. So if their planet looks similar to ours, would our early ancestors think of Martians as humanoid species? In case you don't know, humanoid species are species that are similar to uh, humans, as in, like, they're both bipedal. Generally, they have similar organs. They might have, like, different, maybe different hearts, different amounts, different blood types. But the point being is that there's similar structure. They have to eat. They have to drink. They have waste. And most often, they're not. They're bipedal, and they have a back, uh, backbone. Because I know a lot of reptiles, I think, have exoskeletons. So exoskeletons isn't really a humanoid feature, per se. But, yeah, I think, my me personally, I think that our um, ancient representation of aliens and Martians in general would be a lot more Earth-human-like. And that's going to affect popular media, everything, just overall the way we view our culture. Think about it for a second. Like, I mean, aliens in general, forget about Martians, just aliens in general, they're really popular in popular media today. So if we were to discuss about an Earth-like planet near us, I think these aliens might not be as alien as they are in our timeline. But now let's move on to the space race. And this, this space race is probably going to be the, one of the most interesting ones. After the landings on the moon, obviously the spacefaring nations, the USSR and the United States, are going to want to see, is Mars inhabited? Why is it so much like Earth? Can we colonize it with relative ease? And that's a big thing right there. Because the moon is a great, overall for deep exploration, the moon has minerals that are great for us. There's water on the moon. That's good because we can split the water in hydrogen, oxygen, and use that for fuel. So the moon can be used for a fueling station. I mean, we literally have plans for it in our timeline. So if they were going to Mars, they're going to need, especially early in the 60s and 70s and 80s, they're probably going to need a better supply line. So Mar moon is the moon is definitely going to be a lot more developed. And who would make it to the Mars, Mars first? That is probably one of the most unpredictable things in this scenario. Because... After the American moon landings on the moon, there's no doubt the Soviets are not going to give up. They're going to also want to land on the moon because the goal is probably going to be, at the end of the day, to land on Mars and have a human colony there or whatnot. So when both uh, nations have landed on the moon, they have their bases ready. One of them, I'm not, I don't know which, is going to go to the Mars. They're going to go to Mars and they're going to land. 
And when they get out of their rocket ship, what they're going to see only amazes them. What my prediction is, if Mars is atmosphere, habitability, water and whatnot remain, I think we could see an Earth-like ecosystem on Mars. The only difference being that since gravity is uh, less, uh, Mars has a gravity approximately 0.4 of Earth. I think that animals are going to be larger, whatnot. Um, you might have more flying creatures, so like you know how we have birds, but since the gravity is lighter, you're definitely gonna have have the ability to have larger air flying um creatures. So potentially even dragons, actually. Not obviously fire breathing and whatnot, but their size, the size of the dragons, right? Or maybe dinosaur-like creatures. The Velociraptor, I think that's, I don't know, it's not a Velociraptor, I'm pretty sure they don't fly, but one of the flying dragons, I'm not dragons, <laughs> dinosaurs, I'm not really well versed on dinosaur species names, but my point being is that Mars is going to have an ecosystem like Earth. Obviously the animals, their size, their characteristics are going to be much different from ours, but it's, it's settable for human colonization. And human colonies will spring up. Now the question, the biggest question is, would a sentient species evolve on Mars? This is probably, again, as well as the who would land first on Mars, this is also probably one of the harder ones to address. Why? Well, because we don't know the probability. Even, even with the other one, with me discussing life, life in general, we don't know the probability of life popping up because we only have seen it on Earth. Now, sentient life is supposed to be even more rare than animal life, plant life, but we don't know because we don't have any data to compare it to. But I personally think that sentient species will occur if the conditions are right and the time is given. So what I, be, what I predict for a sentient species is potentially another humanoid-like creature similar to us obviously they're going to be taller and they're going to be used to the lighter gravity so i think a big thing with lighter gravity is that your muscles don't grow as big either they don't grow as dense because they don't need to be like an example would be when astronauts they go to space they need to exercise a lot to minimize their muscle loss as much as possible because space is even less gravity than mars so obviously mars are going to have more uh, muscle density. My, my point being is, when there's less gravity, your muscles don't work as hard. But it's different as in, compared to just not working out on Earth, you're straight up, like, imagine this. Your daily life, I explain this, Um, your muscles in space, if they go to Earth for the first time, existing would be a workout for them. Even more of a workout for them. So my point being, is I think we would have at the end of the day a humanoid species similar to that of humankind but they're a lot weaker obviously in relation to us and now when we try to colonize them what would happen well well personally I think there's going to be some conflicts because not all, all some all all nations they're not all going to respect the borders of these people especially if they have uncolonized lands Definitely nations are going to take advantage of it. Could we see potential 
colonization as people like what we saw in North America during colonization? I'm not too sure, because at the end of the day, this whole scenario is speculation. Alternate history in general is speculation, but sometimes there's just more speculation than others, depending on how realistic the scenario is. I think we could see some sort of colonization that happened, similar to what happened in North America and the subjugation apparently eventually of the people and they would eventually assimilate into our society. But that's my scenario and now we'll see here you'll hear Nick's scenario. Thanks Rohan. So what's up guys? Nick here from the Back to the Past the Ultimate History Podcast. Firstly, before I go into my scenario, I'd like to thank both Rohan and Tej for doing this episode. I originally proposed the idea way back in February and with extensive planning we were finally able to do it. So what's my scenario going to be? Well, this scenario is a first in Back to the Past. As a fan of the show, One Piece, I've always wondered, what if the One Piece was real in our world? First, of course, we need some backstory. The One Piece is an object that is the most desired treasure of many who desire to be the King of the Pirates. However, only one man, Goldie Roger, was able to reach the island in which the treasure resides, Laugh Despite Roger's execution at the hands of the world government, people still didn't believe that the One Piece was real, even though he said he had it. However, at the site of the biggest battle in the history of the world at the time, Marine Ford, Whitebeard, the man is said to be the strongest man alive, even during the times of Goldie Roger, along with the man who was closest to the One Piece, confirmed the existence to the entirety of the world. Just before his death, Whitebeard yelled out, The One Piece does exist, therefore confirming the myth. Before getting too much into the world and the actual plot of the show, let's get back on track to the alternate history scenario. So how would the existence of the One Piece affect the world? Compare the allure of the One Piece to the mythos behind El Dorado. The One Piece would most likely be located somewhere on an island in the middle of the Caribbean. So I believe that the One Piece could actually be found during two different time periods of history. First, in the 1590s by Sir Walter Raleigh, notable for his search for the treasure of El Dorado during this time period, and a later a brief time in 1616. The other time in which it would be found is in the 1600s during the golden age of piracy. As to who would find the treasure in this era, I think it would be Captain Kidd due to the legend revolving around his treasure. But for this scenario, we're going to use the previously mentioned Sir Walter Raleigh as I think it would be a very cool what if. In the year of 1595, Sir Raleigh and his crew were sailing across the Caribbean looking for something called a One Piece. Told by the natives about this treasure, it is said to reveal all the knowledge of the world to the man who possesses this treasure. Suddenly, the weather changes and heavy winds drastically change the course of this ship, despite all the precautions to try to steer it back. When the sky is clear, we see an island that has not been seen by men for a while. When they step off the boat, they find a book called One Piece. The men would rejoice as they finally found the treasure they desperately sought after for years. The One Piece, however, instills a significant amount of knowledge to the men, revealing the truth about the world revolving around one singular figure controlling the entirety of the world. Seeing the truth of the world, the men set sail back to England and head to the palace, where the men, including Rayleigh, warn Elizabeth of this news. Elizabeth, of course, being part of the plan, surrounds the men and starts killing them. In exchange to protect his own head and his own men, Rayleigh kills Elizabeth with a gunshot to the heart with a pistol he had in his pocket. With the death of Queen Elizabeth I of England, the world would turn upside down, in which Rayleigh would be solely responsible for. This also allows for the union between Scotland and England's crowns about a decade or so earlier. After Rayleigh escaped, five nations come together. 
Habsburg Spain, and Austria, along with the entirety of the HRE being represented by Austria, France, Poland, Lithuania, and the new English-Scottish monarchy would form the European alliance called the European government and have their monarchs of each nation as the heads of a council. While their true master must never be revealed, the monarchs of the nations of Europe are really just puppets of this man. For the next few weeks, Rayleigh and his crew hide out across all around England, gathering more supporters and loyal crew members on the way. He's eventually able to depart England and sails for the Caribbean in order to live in freedom from his rule. His Jolly Roger would be the trademark hat as seen in portraits of him. However, the people of England would view him so terribly, and so a newly founded institution of the proclaimed European government, the Seven Warlords of the Sea, is called into action. In response, Sir Francis Drake, pirate loyal to the English crown and one of the Seven Warlords of the Seas, decides to take action on his own. However, Umbanosa Drake, another one of the Seven Warlords of the Sea, notable Dutch Corsair Jacob Willikens has already started in motion in a series of events. He was the one that was assigned by the European government. Drake just acted on his own accord. About half a year of tracking down Sir Raleigh, Drake finally finds him near Portobello in Spanish Panama. January 27th, 1596, Sea Dog Drake and the newly deemed Pirate King, Walter Raleigh, face off. Both receive heavy casualties. It turns into a stalemate between the two as they begin to fight it out heavier and heavier. Suddenly, Cannonball strikes the keel of Sir Francis Drake's ship. In response, Drake turns around and smiles. He sees the fleet of warlord Jacob Willikins. He knew that the government did not assign him, rather Willikins, to hunt him down. And Willikins was not going to stop regardless of Drake was it a government employee or not. As Sea Dog Drake's ship begins to sink, Sea Dog Drake begins to plan to board Willikins' ship. Meanwhile, Rowley uses it as a chance to get away. As predicted by Willikins, Sea Dog Drake would jump on. However, all the clashes, it would eventually lead in Sea Dog Drake's death at sea, as Willikins would shoot Drake in the head and kill him. However, concerning the Pirate King Rayleigh, he escapes, and so with the death of one of the Warlords of the Sea. The European government has a power vacuum and is forced to find another warlord. Willikins would then proceed to advance and catch up to Rayleigh, in which there is a tense moment before suddenly, a white flag flies up. Rayleigh surrenders, as we later find out from the crew of Willikins that it only seems to be that Rayleigh's on the ship. As a result, a massive search worldwide would begin to occur for Rayleigh's missing crew, as they would be deemed threats to the entirety of the stability of Earth. Willikins would take in Rayleigh, and he would be sentenced to execution for treason, the murders of Queen Elizabeth I and Sir Francis Drake of the Seven Warlords. To commemorate the two years since the murder of Queen Elizabeth I on the 23rd of May 1597, the former pirate king, Walter Raleigh, was set to hang. The execution might seem like it may be the end of the story of One Piece, but it could really be the beginning of something else. Of course, one person had to ask the question, Pirate King, where is the treasure you hid? Does the One Piece actually exist? Pirate King Walter Raleigh's response to this? My treasure. Why, it's right there, where I left it. But you'll have to search the whole world to find it. As for if the One Piece is real, my boy, you'll have to go and see. This bold declaration by the Pirate King set a fire ablaze in people's heart as the first golden age of piracy begins, creating a new problem for the government of Europe to handle. As for Raleigh, 
His last words couldn't save him, as he was executed just moments later after those fateful words. As for what happens to all those who set sail, who knows? However, I bet they're all deep in Davy Jones' locker. So that is what would happen if the One Piece would exist in our own reality. Crazy stuff, I know, man. However, let's see what Tej has in store for us. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Tej, and I'm one of the hosts for Back to the Past, and I have an April Fool's scenario that you guys are going to love. My April Fool's scenario is what if Christopher Columbus didn't find America? I know, I know, pretty unrealistic, but I have two takes on this. One take is somewhat realistic, but highly, 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 highly will never happen due to the probability and the chances of Christopher Columbus not discovering America. And a, a second one, very fantasy mythology out of like the world scenario, I will say. So I'm going to go with the first take. So how can Christopher Columbus not discover America as somewhat a realistic way. So everybody knows what Cape Horn is. It's where the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans meet. You guys are like thinking, oh my god, there's no way he's talking about this. There's no way Christopher Columbus goes through this. Yes, guys. Christopher Columbus doesn't even discover America's. He just goes through Cape Horn. Like I said, the chances and the probability of this happening is very unlikely. Like it's a one out of a trillion. No, not even a trillion. Higher than that number. But for the sake of the scenario, if there was a multi-universe out there, ladies and gentlemen, let's just say there's an alternate universe where this happens. Where Christopher Columbus goes through Cape Horn, travels all to India, find India, get some spices and treasures, comes back, not discovering America still, goes through the Cape Horn and comes back to Europe. So what happens after there? Well, easy. Christopher Columbus says we found another way to India, but he doesn't tell there's a new world. Well, well, he did, in, his, in our reality, he did think it was somewhat India, but he called it the Indies. But let's just say in this scenario, he went to India and he 100% had enough evidence. Well, guys, the world is round. There is another way to go to India. We found a path. Let's not go through the Ottomans. Let's just go the other way, get our spices, get out, boom, we make money. So instead of finding new lands, it's like, guys, we can colonize this. They're like, guys, we found new trade routes. But the problem is that, that even though if Christopher Columbus didn't discover America, well, didn't other people well? And I'm not going to say everybody's going to use Cape Horn because... No one's going to use the same trade route that someone discovered. And I'm going to be honest, guys. Anyone could discover America's before Christ I mean, after Christopher Columbus. I mean, like, Henry Hudson could have been the first person to discover America. Ponce alone could have been the first person to discover America. Hell, Amerigo Vespasian. 
Vespucci could have discovered America and called America a different name. Who knows? But one of them will find America and it will change everything. Because when Christopher Columbus discovered America, he helped Spain to claim those territories immediately because Spain realized, oh, Christopher Columbus told us that there's like no one there defending. Let's just claim all of these lands, right? If someone else finds a different set of land, like they could have landed in Brazil, they could have landed in New Jersey or Canada or Mexico instead of the Indies, then they would have taken that territory first. So the whole New World colonial uh, borders could have been completely different. This scenario will change colonialism and which countries get which territories completely. We could have gone to a Spanish America if Christopher Columbus wasn't the first person. I know, I know. My take is basically saying that Christopher Columbus wasn't the first person to discover America. That's why I have a second take. And I think you, ladies and gentlemen, you will love it. My take is, my second take is, if what happens if Christopher Columbus goes to the Bermuda Triangle? find some powerful ancient object, accidentally destroys the new world, and creates and merges the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean together. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. My second take is basically saying that Christopher Columbus destroyed all the new world. And yes, that means the Native Americans. Rest in peace. But this scenario is crazy. But this scenario is insane. There's a huge ocean with a bunch of new trade routes to India, but that's not at all. Instead of colonizing New World, Japan is right there. There's like China, like another major power. Like China was a major power in Asia and Europe is now closer to China. The Ottomans are like, what the hell? I mean, I guess they... Don't have to worry about other European powers getting colonies, but like they're all they're so close to India and China and Japan and Australia and all these other lands, and now they have other access to Africa. I mean, there's two ways to go to Africa. I mean, think about it. After Christopher Columbus destroys the New World, imagine European war powers going to war with China. We have this like epic war with like Europe versus China. It's like a freaking movie, dude. You have like all the European ships raiding China. You just see like all these ports being taken away. You just see like the Chinese general telling the Chinese emperor that guys, Japan has been colonized. It's such a wacky and fantasy scenario, but it's so cool to imagine. I mean, just think about it. If the, if the, like Christopher Columbus just went to the Bermuda Triangle, destroyed the New World, it just ended up creating like a showdown between China and Europe. I mean, like, how does Africa gets involved? Like, like now the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans together, there's no way Africa is not going to be missed by Europe. I'm sorry, Africa, but like. The new world helped you at the end, but you guys are going to get colonized and it's very unfortunate, but like Europe is like having the whole ocean to its sides. I mean, we could see Spanish Australia, British Japan, we could see Portuguese taking a whole India. I mean, someone could take China, like France, China, French, China. Come on, guys. 
So yeah, that's my uh, April Fool scenario, and I hope you guys like this. This is a pretty um, weird scenario, but I thought it was pretty interesting. See you later.